podcast uh this is a podcast it's a true crime podcast first of all you should know that if you're new here if you're not into true crime you probably are not going to enjoy this too much so here why are you starting on episode 11 that's my question and it's also a part two episode so i'd have many many questions but you know what to each their own so this is the horrible things podcast a true crime and disaster podcast where we talk about all things horrible my name is Emma Sexton. I am your host for this episode, and with me today, I am joined by... Caitlin Fu, the guest of this episode and the last episode. Yes. And, like, five other episodes. Very true. Here we are, guys. This is uh, a part two episode, like I mentioned previously. Part two to the Monster of Florence, our first uh, foreign serial killer that we are covering on this podcast, which is pretty crazy. Because I never really looked into foreign serial killers before this, and there's a lot of them. A wealth of information to share on this podcast with you, Caitlin, because I know how much you love to hear oh. all these gruesome things. <laughs> I, oh, as you guys heard in the last episode, I love when Emma makes me do gruesome murder episodes. That's my favorite thing. It definitely doesn't keep me up at night all the time. Which is so funny because you showed me my first true crime stuff, and for someone you must have just a very deep-seated like <laughs> like you want to scare yourself because you yeah. listen to all this stuff without me i here's my thing so i in the moment i enjoy i enjoy doing the podcast emma i enjoy listening to murder podcasts but the thing that i dread is the fear that comes afterwards is when I, when it's night and i hear noises while i'm in bed that's the part that i'm fearing but um this is fun yeah this is fun i yeah i recently opened up with uh, a couple of my friends we were just talking about like your fears and stuff like that and the difference between fear and phobia and i was like you know i know i do a true crime podcast and i talk about that stuff all the time but my biggest fear for the longest time was getting murdered like oh, same yeah. for the longest time it's very strange because I thought I would not, like, be able to get over it because of how bad it was for a period of time. But now I feel like talking about it and, like, actually researching and, like, understanding it more has actually helped my fear to kind of go away. Yeah, we kind of talked about it before, how talking about the about murders and serial killers and things like that help us kind of understand it more kind of and gives it's kind of like our comfort mechanism like being able to talk about it as if it's casual and make some jokes about it or whatever and just kind of delve into it makes us feel like it's not so unknown to us you know it's like we're more in control (laughs) okay so I kind of mentioned this to Caitlin right before we started recording, but I want to mention it once again because I literally am so excited. I'm I'm fangirling so much. One of my favorite crime writers, okay, Billy Jensen, he's amazing. We've talked about their uh, his podcast before, Jensen and Holes with Paul Holes, who we also love. Today, I saw that Billy Jensen, he was at Disneyland, okay? And so, I have a Disney pass myself. <laughs> this story is going a bit, it sounds a bit disconnected because Emma's trying to double task while she's doing something yes. else and telling the story. So, I, I have a Disney pass myself. 
So I was like, oh my gosh, he has a Disney pass. I should go to Disneyland right now and try to meet him. But then I was like, no, there's no way I could get there in time. He's probably already gone if he's like posting photos of it. So then I said, I commented on his picture and I was like, hey, let me know when you're going back to Disneyland because we should all have a true crime like meetup, you know, just like other people who are into true crime follow Billy Jensen and myself, obviously, and Billy Jensen, we should all like have a meetup. And he responded and he said, yes, that we should all do that around Halloween. And I've never been more fangirly or excited for anything in my entire life because honestly, he's one of like, he is a hero. Like he is so important to true crime as a whole. And I was just like fangirling so much. So as soon as Caitlin came over, I'm like, Caitlin, you will not believe what just happened. (laughs) And I'm just super excited on behalf of Emma because he's basically a legend in the, um, murder podcast uh serial killer world so yeah that was really exciting and i know people who follow true crime are gonna be like oh my gosh that's awesome people that don't are like i have no idea no idea what you're talking about and you know what you came here to listen to part two of monster (laughs) so why are you here so i think it's what do you think caitlin i think it's time we we get on to the actual case i think it's time i think it's time this is for you billy jensen i hope you're listening he's the that person that starts on part two episode 11 (laughs) (laughs) so like i mentioned in the beginning we are talking about monster florence this week crazy crazy case uh i'll just do a little recap on what we talked about last week just in case there's that those few people who didn't listen to the first episode but um where we left off was with the last two murders that are ever recorded to have been accredited to the monster of Florence. So we know that starting in possibly in 1968, possibly in 1974, depending on which line of suspects you follow, either the Sardinian connection or the satanic connection, which we're going to talk about today. I know it has an intriguing name, so I'm excited to talk about it. But um, we talked about how the monster of Florence is for sure known to have committed 12 murders of six different couples from 1974 to 1985. And so we're just leaving off at the fact that the, we know that the monster's never been caught. We know that this is a cold case, but now we're going to go over the craziness that happened after these last two murders because there's so, so much that happened with the court cases, with the ways that they actually investigated miscarriages of justice. Uh, in the last episode, I explained that my a lot of my interest in this case comes from a book called um, The Monster Florence, uh, an Investigation. And it's by Douglas Preston and Mario Spezzi. So some of the things I'm going to talk about have to do with Mario Spezzi because the way that I actually learned about this case, oh, and by the way, you should go get that book, but uh, the way I learned about this case was kind of through the perspective of someone who was on it from day one. So I will be kind of trickling that in throughout. If you listen to the first part of this episode, which you should have already, you already know that Betsy's a huge part of this case and a legend. He's a huge part of basically like the investigation going on, but like about the monster of Florence and then the research that it went in, into it and the writing, all yeah. that stuff, all that good stuff. Yeah. So I, with that, I say we, we get started right where we left off. So we, we left off at saying that this is the monster's last killing, the killing of a French couple who had been camping in the hills of Florence at this time. 
1985. Horrible murder. Uh, So we know that over 11 years, 12 murders have occurred. And at this time, there are two people who are the main investigators of the Monster Florence case. Uh, We have, disclaimer, I don't speak Italian, so I might pronounce some of these names wrong, but Pierre Luigi Vigna and then uh, Mario Rotella. And these are the chief prosecutor and the examining magistrate. So in the Italian system of justice, these two people are supposed to work together to um, solve big cases. And they work with both the polizia and the carbonieri, which are Italy's two police forces, because they have two, which is very different from America, where we are. So the funny thing about these two people is that it, it becomes, over time... The two of them are working on this case and they're examining the Sardinian connection. Mm-hmm. Okay, which is what we talked about last week about how the original owners of the gun and the bullets that were used to kill the other 12 people were connected to a murder in 1968 and the Carbonieri and Mario Rotella in spe- in like specifically had begun to believe that the Sardinians who owned the gun in 1968 were actually one of them who had access to the gun, was responsible for the other 12 killings. So we talked about the Vinci brothers. And at this time, kind of after 1985, Judge Mario Rotella is kind of starting to deal with the fact that the policia and um, Vigna are starting to turn against this idea that the Vinci family is responsible for the murders. So even though Rotella had had two suspects in prison in Italy when these French tourists were killed, he would not let them out of jail. And Vigna is like, you need to release these people. And Mario (laughs) Rotella would not do it. So Rotella starts investigating Salvatore Vinci, one of the three Vinci brothers who he knew had been involved with Barbara Locci, the woman who'd been killed. And at this time, they were also investigating another murder that they believed Salvatore Vinci may have been involved in, which was that uh, after he left Sardinia... He had a wife who was 19 years old named Barbarina. Okay. Oh, our age. Yes, pretty much. <laughs> that is so weird. I didn't realize that. But Barbarina, so she was found, she had been suffocated by gas in their home. This death was in 1961, so seven years before the first possible monster killing. And even though it had been determined a suicide, a lot of people in their town believed that Salvatore Vinci had actually let the gas fill the home to kill her on purpose because somehow their son Antonio had managed to escape asphyxiation by gas. He had someone had miraculously taken him out of the house before his mother mm-hmm. had died. So people believe that Salvatore Vinci wanted to kill his wife but wanted to save his son. So I'm assuming the son is like really young, right? Like not one only- years old. Okay. Yeah. One year old? Yeah. Not one years. That <laughs> makes no sense. One year old, you yeah. Idiot Emma. And <laughs> this podcast now it's ruined. So, Rotella, he, he's thinking that this guy, Salvatore Vinci, he has what it takes to be a murderer. They already kind of have seen that because of the fact that a lot of people believe he killed his wife. So... That sounds like a um, game show. Like, do you have what it takes to be a murderer? <laughs> you know, who so, does have what it takes? This guy, Salvatore Vinci, they don't have enough other than the fact that he's part of the sardinian clan and he's a vinci brother and he's possibly suspected of two more murders and not to mention that they believe he was the head gunman for the murder of barbara loci that's all they have on him but they don't have any concrete proof it's pretty much all circumstantial so 
Rotella does not arrest him for any of the monster charges or the charges in 1968. Instead, he arrests him for the death of his wife. And this is in the 80s, so it's almost 20 years later that he is arrested for the death of his wife. However, like I said a few moments ago, almost all the evidence was circumstantial. And Antonio, his son, who was saved from the gas, did not want to testify against him in court. So... Rotella, but also, wasn't the son like two years old? Oh, this twenty years later. Yeah. Oh, uh, oh. Uh, okay. So he's in his twenties. But I also don't think he would remember anything. I know I don't no. remember anything when I was one. But I think they wanted him to testify about character. Mm. Like, was your dad a violent person? Okay. Yeah. So, pretty crazy, I know. But they actually have almost no evidence when they convict this guy. So. The trial does not go well at all, especially since pretty much the only person who could have attested to Salvatore Vinci's character refused to testify. So Salvatore Vinci was acquitted of the charge for murder Mm. and he just walked away from the police and he was never questioned or taken into custody again. Although it is very possible that he could have had something to do with the monster deaths. Wait, was he also the owner of the gun that was connected to Yes, to the other 12 murders. Then... I've did, why like if his gun was responsible because they for believe it. that it could have they never found the gun so they believe that it could have passed out of his hands what is that by mean? the time like maybe oh, like he, he tried to dispose of the gun and somebody else picked it up I don't believe that I kind of don't either because you don't just like get rid of a murder weapon you know what I mean yeah like I don't did he ever make it a defense to that like no like I don't ha- he just said he didn't have the gun anymore did he say, like, what he did with it? Or was he just like, yeah, I don't know. He said that. he just, like, threw it away. <laughs> Guys. It, it's it's very strange. Case solved. It's but, him. So this is, remember, this is Mario Rotella, who's kind of having the same, and Mario Spezzi also, kind of believes that this Sardinian connection is the way to solve the case. But Vinya does not believe this. The um, examining magistrate. No, wait. Chief inspector. Sorry. So Chief Inspector Vigna does not believe that the Sardinian connection leads to anywhere. And after Salvatore Vinci is acquitted, it frankly has embarrassed the Italian government. So uh, Vigna says, and he's pressuring Rotella and saying, we need to close this line of investigation. It has gotten us nowhere. There's been several more deaths. We've looked like a fool to all these people in Italy. So we need to close this. And honestly, the way that it played out rotella lost this fight he was eventually replaced and that line of investigation into the sardinian connection was closed completely because of the fact that rotella was out and Mm -hmm. you know how i talked about last episode that they had made that squadra anti-mostro yeah yeah. so the anti-monster squad that was made almost entirely of carbonieri and a lot of the Carbonieri who'd been on the case quit after they stopped investigating the Sardinian connection because they were so angry because they believed they were just giving up on all yeah, these yeah. leads. So I, I see that because, OK, my thing is, I, I'm sure there's much more to it. And this is just very simple way of me. I'm just going to complain about this anyways. I'm still upset that they found the gun. They basically know the gun that was responsible for all these murders, Let you know, was belonged to the guy and it just it's so frustrating knowing that that's such a huge lead and it just didn't really go anywhere you know yeah like i feel 
the frustration of the carbonary right now. I just wait till you see where this investigation oh. headed to next. It gets so crazy. I mean, like I said, there's been plenty of times where I'm like, man, this was not great. You know, this could have mm-hmm. definitely could have gone better. But this is like another level because we've closed the Sardinian connection. And remember, I said there was one other line of investigation. That's the oh. satanic connection, oh. which is where we're heading to now. So, like I said, Rotella is basically kicked out. He's like, goodbye. And the Carbonieri kind of leaves with him. So the Squadra Anti-Mastro is cre- created now entirely by people in the Polizia. Mm. So that the other police force. And now they're under the control of Chief Inspector uh, Perigini. So this is a whole new Chief Inspector, a whole new so this anti-monster like- squad. They're, they're starting from a clean slate. And basically the first thing that uh, Perigini did once he got the job and started on the monster case is he looks directly at a news camera and says to this monster, he says, quote, and I actually got this quote from a Douglas Preston article, so check it out. Mm-hmm. Uh People call you a monster, a maniac, a beast, but I believe I've come to know and understand you better. We are here to help you, he said. So he's basically putting on the show to the cameras yeah. as soon as he gets hired, saying, trying to speak directly to the monster. But honestly, in my brain at least, it seems to me like he's trying to win a popularity contest. Like he's trying to show the people that he's not afraid and he is going to catch yeah. this monster after all these people have failed. And it just does not come like to me it doesn't come across as being very sincere it's not genuine because i that's not gonna make the monster like be like all right <laughs> they're here to help yeah, me turn myself in like yeah they were right all right time just because some come guy forward. looked at a news channel and was like we're here to help you like the monster's like what the monster's probably like okay like you guys <laughs> how dumb do you think i am yeah like what I mean, the monster's been smart enough to not get caught this whole time. He's smart enough to not turn himself in because of one charming policeman. (laughs) Can you imagine? He's like, he was just so damn cute. I had to turn myself in. He told me he wanted to help me. It's like, what what else am I going to do? Just turn myself in. (laughs) He was flirting with me on TV. I had to. Basically, the key to catching any, any serial killer is by flirting with them. Through the news, through a news outlet. Yeah, so Paragini, what he does, the way that he starts the investigation is he says, okay, we're going to start by assuming that the Sardinian 1968 killing is not connected whatsoever. It was the same gun, same bullets. It's not connected. We're assuming that before the monster started killing, he somehow got a hold of this gun that had passed out of the hands of the Sardinians. Wait, what was the one thing that kind of separated the Sardinian killing from the rest? Like, uh, well, it was personal. I guess they could find direct connection between the killing and also someone okay, was already rest. in jail for it. Oh, okay. So yeah, someone had confessed to it, even though they believe that he probably didn't do it. Let's get that away. That connection is closed. Goodbye. Get out of here. So. They are now trying to go back and find some things for from evidence. Like they found a partial fingerprint. Uh, they found like a footprint and like a piece of a bloody cloth. So they were trying to look at this evidence. And unfortunately, a lot of it never got preserved properly. So it wasn't they weren't able to analyze it from anything, but mm. one of the things that a lot of people say about Paragini is that he really wanted to have computers and technology be the way they solved this crime. Like, he was really into the idea of using computers. Mm-hmm. So, 
the next thing that he did was he's like, okay, millennials, we're just going to start looking for anyone, anyone who might possibly have a connection. They look at literally, you know how I said in the beginning, they examined over a hundred thousand people. Yeah, This is why they start examining thousands and thousands of people trying to look for any connection. Anyone with a criminal record of assault, sexual assault. That feels like the population of Florence because Florence is like the biggest, <laughs> Every most male. popping city. Like, I feel like <laughs> that's a lot of people. They literally looked at anyone who really had like a sort of criminal history of violence. You were a suspect for for 12 murders. Do you and think at some point they did interview the monster? What What are your thoughts on that? Do you think at some point? I'll get to that at the end of who All I right, think okay. it was. We'll get into the conspiracies later. Yeah, but... I do have a person that I think it was, but I'm trying not to let that show through too much. All right. So keep unbiased, Emma. So the search ends in Paragini finds this man. His name is Pietro Pacciani. Now, he is basically the worst type of human being that you could imagine. And he is an alcoholic. He... um. And this is, I mean, this is just awful, but he was convicted of raping and abusing his two daughters. So, uh, he committed incest, rape, assault. He's an and alcoholic. And he's not in jail. He was in jail. And his prison sentence, the reason that they eventually picked him as this is the guy we think it is, is because while he was in prison is the time that there was a gap between 1974 and 1981 in oh. the monster killings. So they think that the reason there were no more killings between 74 and 81 is because he was in jail. I'm just a little beefed right now because he should have still been in jail. You know, for raping both his daughters. Yeah, it's pretty Keep awful. the man in jail. We don't want him in society. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> he can't really function too well, what do we clearly. Want? What, what's his, what do we want him to be doing in society? Well, he was a farmer. No purpose. Put him back in jail. Put we have enough. Back. We have There's enough. enough farmers. Do in you Italy. know how many farmers there are in Italy? We don't need one. Do who's, we don't need a rapist farmer. We can do without him. And one more crime that they had found to basically say, oh yeah, he could be definitely capable of this, is that in 1951, uh, he thought that this guy who was a salesman was like trying to hit on his fiance. So he he used a bottle to. Um, smash his head in and then he raped his fiance next to this guy's dead body jesus how so this is the same guy yes and i wrote in my notes put him in jail i literally wrote a monster but is he the monster like he's clearly a monster he's clearly one like just the worst type of human being evil put evil murderer rapist abusive you know, Bars. but is he the monster? I guess is the question that you kind of have to ask yourself as we go through L- it. Listen, either way, I just think this guy should, he's already murdered then, right? Yes. Then he should just be, whether he's the monster or not, this is a whole separate horrible things case. I'm just going to say this. He, that man needs to stay in jail. Like, yeah. Well, he's dead now. Good. Actually, I feel like, I feel not satisfactory. I need, I need, um. I don't know. I don't even know this man's story yet, but I'm sick of him. I've had enough. So, Paragini, he basically, at this point, he's like, this this has got to be our guy. I mean, it all makes sense. It all makes sense. And when they were, like, interviewing him and and checking out all the old records of, like, (laughs) of stuff that he had, Caitlin just picked up a candle and, like, flecks of it fell off and she just looked terrified. 
I'm very interested. I don't know why there's a candle right here. I'm very it, it interested. It was on there. before you were here. It was on. It was lit before you were here. <laughs> then I came and it was not lit anymore. <laughs> See. So. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm joking. I'm joking. So Paragini said that there was like one thing that he read in the police reports and the interviews with Tatiani that made him really believe that he was the monster Florence, which is that Pacciani said that what had made him angry enough to kill the guy who was hitting on his fiance and like about to, you know, have intercourse with his fiance was that he saw his fiance in a take car off her shirt. Sex. No, no. He saw his fiance take off her shirt and he saw her left breast. <gasps> and remember what we talked yeah. about in the other crimes is that the monster Florence would in two cases, cut off the woman's left breast Dude. and took it with him. So he believed that this made Pacciani have a clear link to something that had been happening in the monster's crimes. Even if he's not, um, like, the monster, that kind of connection is what... The type of stuff that's so interesting to see in, like, crime shows and things like that, where they make a connection, like, from the guy's backstory to something that they do during the murders you know that's so interesting to see how one thing could lead to another because there are a lot of real life cases where things like that connect where they had like the shoot what was the shoe shoe killer where they had like an obsession with shoes when they were younger and that kind of became their whole motive when they were a murderer like it's things like that connections between the past and their murders that are really interesting to me yeah and there's one more thing like that which is that when they're searching um, Pacciani's house, Paragini was, and he found what he believed to be the end-all be-all of evidence of what could make him clearly guilty. Which A is left that boob. He found... <laughs> no, no. In his refrigerator. He found a copy of Botticelli's Primavera, which is this painting that's in the um, Afuzi Gallery in, it- in Italy. I actually was there a few weeks ago. Um, of this nymph, like this forest creature who has flowers coming out of her mouth, right? And this painting, this reproduction that um, Pacciani had reminded uh, Perugini of the gold chain that had been lying in the mouth, coming out of the mouth of the very first victim mm. uh, in 19- of the one of the first victims in 1981. I so. Feel- is that a bit of a stretch, though? That's what I thought. Okay, because I feel like... To he thought this to was just... so important that the cover of Perugini's book talking about this case is that painting. I feel like a lot of it is stretches, you know? Because at the point they're ver- this point, they're very desperate. And it's kind of like, oh, this connects to that and this connects to that, you know? Trying to make any yeah. connection you can. And also, I feel like this case in particular, like, people just... People really wanted someone to be caught. Yeah, yeah. And he's a very attractive person for what -hmm. you would expect the monster to be. Because, I mean, when they arrest him, it's not like you're arresting someone who's totally innocent. Everyone's rooting for him to be the monster, basically. Yeah. And it it looks good on paper. It would have put a good end to the story, you know? But I just, it feels like a stretch because... It's even a stretch, I think, if even the victim had a... Fl- he put a flower in her mouth or something, yeah. right? To just connect it to, lo- to, like, a painting in his house, you know? That's kind of a strange connection that I wouldn't really yeah. see. But um, especially if it's just a gold chain, not even a flower or anything, that doesn't feel like it's a very... I would say the, like, 
boob connection even is like a stronger connection than that. Yeah, I would say so. But also it's like it could just be coincidence at that point. Yeah, but I'm just. But again, it is kind of weird. That's for sure. It all just kind of seems like stretch like stretches, you know, like they're just trying to find any connection they can. And that was in 1951. And then this other few murders happened in the 80s so there is a big stretch time and they think that he would probably have been active as a monster but i'm not sure about it to be honest and so they organized this huge search of pacciani's house farm because they're like okay well this is this gotta be our guy and what they find on the property is they find a an a quote unfired 22 bullet in the garden so they basically find this bullet that is the same as the Beretta dude, the 30 Beretta takes. So they're kind of at this point, they're like, oh, my gosh, this has got to be the bullet. This has got to be it. This mm-hmm. has got to be it. They send it to ballistics. Uh, they find the results to be inconclusive of whether or not it could have been. They said interesting. Basically, what they said was it maybe might have been inserted into the Beretta, possibly, maybe. <laughs> But we definitely can't tell at all, and it wasn't fired, so he would have inserted the bullet and taken it out. But there's a chance, I guess, maybe, if you really try, if you squint your eyes, you can see. (laughs) Imagine that's exactly what the computer came out with, like, the results are in, and it's, maybe, I'm not quite sure, but this is what we know, but we can't know for sure. Like, that's just frustrating. And then they get this, like, anonymous letter that has, like, a, um... Like, there's this piece of a 22 Beretta wrapped in this rag. And then um, it has this anonymous note, which is like, there's a tree Pacciani always goes to, and I found this. And then when they, like, compared two rags, like, they found one rag in Pacciani's house, and then this one rag that had the Beretta in it. They compare them, and they were like, they are from the same thing. But the crazy thing about that is, like, they're... They don't know if it was the same Beretta. Like, there's literally no way to tell. So, they're so just it could have like, just been a piece of a random Beretta mm-hmm. that somebody maybe was trying to plant evidence <laughs> or something on him. Like, there's absolutely no way to tell. So, at this point, they're just making any connections, like we're yeah. saying. Because he's, you were already saying, he's a really attractive contender in the way that everyone kind of wants him to be the monster. There are some connections, and yeah, he's for just sure. not a great guy, you know? So, everyone kind of wants him to be the guy. So, once you're at... I think with that mindset, when you go to his house to go searching, you're connecting everything you can, you know? Yeah. And so they, with all this evidence, they arrest Pacciani on January 16th, 1993. They accuse him of all 12 murders. And his trial is basically like the biggest, you know, what OJ Simpson was for America in like the early 2000s. That was like Pacciani for Florence, his trial. It was on television like every single day. And one of, like, a big thing that a lot of older Florentines will remember is, like, all these people going and witnessing about him being violent or his daughters testifying about how he had raped them Mm -hmm. and crying about it on the witness stand. And so, basically, the entire public is just turning against him, like, regardless of whether or not he's the monster. So, he looks, he's becoming a more and more perfect suspect because everyone wants him to go to jail Mm -hmm. regardless of whether or not he's the monster you know so it was very a lot of people say that the trial was extremely dramatic uh we talked about in the last episode how hannibal um written by 
Thomas Harris mm-hmm. is yes. actually a lot based on the monster of Florence. And yeah. Thomas Harris, the author of Hannibal, actually sat in on the trial a lot to no. watch this. Really? Yeah, to watch all this happen. And he like uh based a lot of the stuff that happened in the second Hannibal book on this. So So I'm assuming that this guy has is the basically the main suspect at this point. Yeah. He well they're they're charging him with the murders. Okay, like they okay. they're he's on trial for the murders. And they there are a couple quotes that are like really disturbing where he says like he says uh, he's like in the trial Pacciani talks about like I'm innocent I'm innocent I'm just a very sweet old man like I'm a I'm a sweet old man I'm 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 just being accused I've done nothing wrong and it just made people hate him at even more yeah because there was stuff he that did. he clearly did because even if he wasn't the monster like it's not like you're you have nothing else going against you you already have a bunch of people claiming that you you know the daughter's talking about the rape yeah and then, but like, weirdly enough the daughters and the wife who clearly hated him said that he couldn't have been the monster because he was a dumb alcoholic and they don't think that he could have they said he was just home a lot and that he hardly ever left the farm and he was just abusive and drunk all the time that there's no way he could have left the house long enough or done half the things that they said the monster did yeah i was gonna say that because when i after hearing about the crimes that the monster did and murders how i pictured him was probably like an agile younger maybe like 30s 40s yeah chasing that guy through the yeah the french forest through the forest and And finding him still like kind of on it enough like not enough like they're in a bad way but yeah yeah, still sharp enough to kind of like know how to not get caught and to be very meticulous sending letters and Mm -hmm. things like that i don't know that seems just everything i've heard so far makes it seem like it's a younger man you know not someone who's yeah. like an old alcoholic but yeah so pacciani though is convicted and sentenced to life in prison and um was he convicted on the murders or on the murders on of the, the monster murders. he was he was basically the monster but then when he had a um he had a, a, an appeal because you mm-hmm. get the obviously you get those in italy the same way you do in america He had an appeal that had to happen. And the person that was supposed to be prosecuting his case actually did the craziest thing ever. Like I said, this case is insane. He turns around and he says, I'm not going to prosecute this man. And then the guy who's supposed to be like just nailing him on how he's the monster turns around and starts pointing out all the things that they did wrong when they were examining this case the first time. The ways that Pacciani couldn't be the monster literally just with timing and the fact that he had been completely taken advantage of by Perugini in terms of Uh. that his rights had been violated and that this was just terrible police work. Mm-hmm. And that people had rushed to a conclusion because they wanted the monster gone so bad. So now he has the defense and the prosecution oh, working dude. for him. That's crazy. So on February 13th, 1996, he's acquitted. So he he literally, they try to get the case retried because they're like, there's no way. Like, he has to be the monster. Mm-hmm. But then Pacciani died in 1998. So before oh, they could like, ever retry the case... <laughs> He died. The second he hears, like, we should retry this, he's like, But no. he technically died acquitted for the murders. It's It was really bittersweet hearing about how he got um, convicted of the murders because it's good in the way because you want this guy in jail, obviously, you know? He's done a lot of bad stuff. He's literally a murderer, like, in a difference that's not necessarily as the monster, but you want this guy in jail. But when he goes to jail, you know that the real monster is still out there, you know? So yeah. it's not really... 
So it kind of sucks because, you know, during that whole time now that the real monster was watching that and just kind of going like, haha, like they didn't catch me. Yeah. He See, probably felt it, so like, you know, like, like high and mighty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you might be wondering, Caitlin, at this point. Well, Emma, <laughs> Patriani's dead. There's no more people they like really accuse and put on trial of being the monster. And you didn't say anything about Satanism. So what does the name Satanic Connection come from? Well, oh, this is we're getting to get- into that. We're about to get to that right now. So Pacciani's close friend, uh, actually, after he died, came forward and was like, I have new information. I am here mm. to testify. I'm here to tell the people like, the Shut truth. Up. <laughs> Shut I, my up. hands are going crazy right now. And he said I was like preaching, that, like, that a Florentine doctor hired him and Pacciani to collect female body parts Ugh. to use in satanic black masses as, as part of their ritual. Well, why is he like coming out and saying, that's me. That's what I did. He literally... he literally convicted himself so many times and he probably wasn't even involved because this literally came out of nowhere so he's a psycho he's like i don't understand he was actually friends with pacciani well why would you come out and say i did this i'm the murderer i do not know i (laughs) I, do not know at that point you just can't like obviously you look into it he was always contradicting himself though everything he said like did not make sense Mm. but he basically made this big claim saying that they were using female body parts as offerings to the devil why would you do that so he he talked about this wealthy florentine doctor then he talked about a couple other guys and uh basically said that they were all responsible for the murders so one of them was sentenced to life in prison and the other one got over 25 years oh so they were convicted yes how what what what? because he accused them this random dude who's friends with pacciani what? So then they thought Pacciani was also involved in this satanic cult. And they were looking for a whole group of Satanists who were behind all these ritualistic <laughs> this is killings. Wild. Is that not the craziest thing you've ever heard? It, literally, like, I, it's so insane to me. I'm like, how did we get and from, like, crazy too. dude who could possibly be, like, there's actually a good possibility in the timelines. Makes sense that he could have been it, like, good lead, to Black Mass. Like, wh- what did this come from? And it's sudden, and the fact that he self-convicted him, like, he was basically like, it's me. Like, why would you do that? I yeah. So that happened, but honestly, after Pacciani's death, like, they never really, like, they never really made a big show out of making anyone the monster yeah, just anymore. Like, mm-hmm. They kind of just like, okay, we're going to lay low now because our guy <laughs> died like- right after he was acquitted. Mm-hmm. And then they were kind of trying to still hold up the pretense that he was guilty but our our boy mario spezzi he he actually took a video of one of the polizia who was there for the search of patriani's farm and he said that actually he thought that it could be possible that Paragini uh planted the bullet that they found which is one of the main pieces of evidence they used against Mm. patriani in court well what you were saying earlier was like he seems like he's just doing it for popularity. Like the thing he was saying directly to the monster and stuff, it's all yeah. kind of for show. If you're doing that all for show, I can kind of also see how you'd plant evidence to kind of be seen as the hero that caught the guy. You know? Yeah. So Spetsy publishes this video that he had 
saying that they believe Paragini, like that one of the people who was there thought that he planted that. What evidence. happened in the video? It's this police officer talking about the fact that he turned away and then the bullet was there. That's mm-hmm. what he felt like. So he thought that Paragini planted it. Yeah. So Spetsy publishes this and then he's sued. You dog. He's sued and by literally by like the police the police. Uh-huh. And then he wins the case and then he's just kind of like, haha, screw you guys. Come on, you, you can't know? sue Betsy. Like he he's been on top of this monster case. He's Spetsy the king is of literally it. like He's the king of the he, monster Florence. He case. can like do no wrong in court. It's crazy. <laughs> so now he's Spetsy also, he's been like literally on this case for a super, super long time. He's like getting done with it, you know. Mm-hmm. So he he quits his job at the newspaper and he's kind of just investigating investigating the case on his own. He's like writing books and stuff. Just being awesome. One of like the things that Spetsy had talked about in his life, about one of like the big things that he'd had uh in his career was that he found a report that had been for um, the chief inspector, which was by the behavioral science unit in Quantico, BAU two, like the the behavioral science unit, you know, that we all oh, know about. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, it had been given to the Italian police and given to the chief inspector, but they had never let it see the light of day because the person that the FBI behavioral science unit believed would have carried out this crime did not match Pacciani's character whatsoever. Like, it was totally different people. They thought that he, like, chose his targets based on location. Mm -hmm. They thought he did, like... Okay, so basically, here's what they thought. They thought that he was impotent, and they thought that he was kind of a loner, and that he hated women. The killer. Yes. But none of that matched up with who Pacciani was. So they just completely ignored the report yeah because they want to make things connect they want to basically arrest the person to get the case anyone to get the case over with if it doesn't match it sends them on a whole different manhunt yeah so spetsy at this point basically believes that uh that the the sardinian connection is true all this crap about satanism and black masses and all these random accusations that are coming out and even about pacciani that they're not true whatsoever and he honestly still thinks that the 1968 killing is the way to find the person who had access to the gun and therefore the monster so of does bessie think it was um uh salvatore vinci yeah yeah does he yes think it was him? okay yeah well or someone in that family who could have had access to the gun mm-hmm. possibly antonio vinci his son but okay. most likely salvatore vinci because he also believed like what we were just talking about about how it's, it's like I feel like everything on this satanic connection, that's all very um, circumstantial and very like connections that they kind of pulled out of their asses because they just wanted to catch someone. Yeah. But the other one, it feels like they have at least one very solid piece of evidence, which is the gun that connects it. Like, come on. Like, they know it's the gun. Yeah. And they actually went to Antonio, like uh, Douglas Preston and Mario Spezzi went to Antonio Vinci's house and actually like interviewed him kind of and they like asked him questions and here's a few quotes from their interview okay so spetsy asked if your father owned the 22 beretta you were the person in the best position to take it perhaps during the breaking and entering of spring 1974 because they actually found that salvatore vinci's house was broken into 1974 which if you recall is the year that the first monster killing happened but he never said what was stolen 
So, I, but it's weird. If you're being accused as the killer, why wouldn't you say, oh, they could have taken my gun? Family bonds. Because maybe if your son stole it. Mm. So they kind of thought Antonio Vinci might have been. Oh, dude. So then he said, he basically, Vin- Antonio Vinci denies taking the gun. He says he didn't take it. And they said, and then he's like, and I have proof. And this is what he said, quote, if I had taken it, I would have fired it into my father's forehead. So then Spetsy's like, okay, that's you're crazy but also (laughs) so you're telling me like you're not the monster of florence but also you just threatened to kill your dad yeah what the and that doesn't help your case he says uh i'm kind of censoring this because i don't like to curse that much on the podcast but he marius betsy's like so you're not the monster of florence and this is what antonio vinci says replace it with fun words no i like my women whole Is that not disturbing? I don't like this guy. I just If you're being accused of a murderer, why are you answering questions like that? Why are you saying things like, I like my woman whole and, oh, I'm not the murderer. Because if I yeah. was, I would have fired a gun into my dad's head. Like, to be that's honest, not helping he seems you. Much more po- like, it seems much more possible that he would be guilty than Pacciani yeah, to wh- me. Hold on, but the government's is- view right now is still, oh, Pacciani is like it this guy is such a creep like why would you answer if you're not the killer why would you answer things like that just yeah so the government world? is still still in 2001 the newspapers are talking about the villa of horrors which is where they believe pacciani headed up the cult for satanic worshipers and had pacciani do their bidding and here's a really funny thing that will come in later they f- they found a quote hexagonal stone stone near the door and then spetsy goes on tv and is like yo in a lot of old italian farmhouses they have those it's not a satanic object it's a freaking doorstop okay you crazy people and he's like dunking on them over and over again because they had gotten this thing and they're like it's a satanic object it's part of the occult and he's like bruh that's a doorstop like (laughs) what are you talking about betsy is on it dude he knows what's up and he's out here roasting these investigators. Yeah. And also, uh, they have this entomologist on TV who's kind of in one of these documentaries on the Monster of Florence. He's talking about the fact that, so, like, the they can tell from the bugs that were on the French tourist bodies that they were killed on Saturday night. But a huge thing is that these witnesses who they believe, who the, they'd convicted people on, who'd said that it was, like, black masses and all that, they swore that, that Pacciani had killed these people on Sunday night. So then Spetsy's like, so what do you have to say about that? Because that's like your entire investigation is being held up by what these people say and they don't know the actual date that anything happened. Mm -hmm. So what do you got to say about that? Are you asking me? Yeah. (laughs) Like, what What do you think about that? I just, I trust Betsy. Like, I... That's all I have to say. Me too. I I just, uh, he seems like he's basically on top of everything that's been happening in this. And sorry, I thought you were asking a rhetorical question to Betsy. Like, what do you think about, or like to the people that he roasted? I thought you were like, what do you think about that? And I was like. (laughs) Well, something even crazier happens a little bit later, right? How does this get crazier than this? Because. Satanism and a crazy, creepy son. While Mario Spezzi and Douglas Preston are working on their book, talking about the monster of florence mario spetsy his home is invaded by police officers 
and he is arrested and all of his resources on the monster are collected because he is being accused of being the monster of Florence and he is held in an Italian prison while they question him for being the monster of Florence. Dude, our boy can't get a break. Douglas Preston literally writes articles. He asks other journalists, like, you need to publish something. This is a clear, like, abridgment of his rights. He's being held because he dunked on, like, the chief inspector. Let's be real. So, and one of the things they use as evidence for holding Mario Spezzi is that he also had a hexagon-shaped what uh oh my occult object which uh, he called a doorstop and used as a doorstop but they said that it was proof that he was somehow connected so, to Pasciani's satanic cult it would be so funny if it was like an actual doorstop like it was just a little like wooden triangle thing <laughs> and they're like this is the evidence that we've been looking for yeah so this is sa- satanic spetsy is being literally held in jail and they actually bring Douglas Preston to Italy and he's questioned in like full Italian. He can like not speak that well Italian, mm-hmm. you know, so he's being questioned and stuff about all these things that he said that were like little jokes and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But the only way they know is because they'd been tapping Spetsy's phones. Oh, the dude. government had. So he's being questioned on all these things and just getting really, really overwhelmed. And eventually he's like released. But basically the situation now is that Douglas Preston like can't go back to Italy because of this case. That's crazy because it's just like now they're accusing people who just basically who are some of the most important people in terms of the investigation. But just because they kind of stepped on the wrong toes, now they're being accused or at least um, Betsy's being accused of being the monster, you know? Yeah. It's just... Betsy I- was held for three weeks in this awful, 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 awful prison in Italy. Like, can you believe that? Three weeks. That's yeah. crazy. For basically so, nothing, just because, you know... Betsy gone- gets released, obviously, eventually by these three judges. But then he's like... He's, like, done with this case yeah, after I, that. Because, I mean, wouldn't you be after, also? After you're accused of being the person that you've helped them, like, try to find, like, you're, I'd be done. Like, are you kidding me? Like, yeah. this is a joke, basically. And I now. will say, though, that during the, like, trial that they kind of had but before these judges, Spetsy literally spent, like, hours just just being like these people accuse me they have literally no evidence this whole investigation is stupid Pacciani is definitely not the killer like going through all these points and he basically just embarrasses the italian government to no end because of what happened (laughs) and eventually obviously they let him go and i think that a good thing about this case is that it honestly you really saw italian journalists take a stand because a lot of publications wrote in outreach about what had happened to marius betsy talking about that this was an abridgment of his rights and it's honestly kind of crazy to me at least the impact that like these murders happened in the 80s but then led to this huge like almost uprising of sorts of journalists in the 2000s -hmm. because of the fact that this case even though the killer is most likely dead by this point unless it was antonio vinci Mm -hmm. you know like it's he's alive right yes or he was when this book was written let's go pay him a visit well it's just like it's insane to me the amount of things not only in italian culture but just in like journalism and things like that that this case has affected over the years by the end of it they still haven't found anyone yeah and so kind of on that note uh both douglas preston and mario spetsy and honestly myself also don't think that this case 
is ever going to get solved. It's probably going to oh, be cold forever. It's either the killer's now. dead or there's been too many false leads, you know, like either it's been ruined by just this the stench of terrible police work and mm -hmm. satanic cults and, and the fact they closed like this Sardinian connection. It's just like this case is never going to get solved, but it is still so completely prevalent in Italian culture and it is by far in Florence for sure and probably in all of Italy the most important case to true crime and to true crime journalism that has ever happened and it's still super prevalent today so kind of with with that that is the case of the monster of Florence and the insane events that happened Ooh. after it and so Caitlin I kind of just want to know what what it, what are your thoughts on all of it? So Pacioni, um, during his trial, I'm since it was basically you said the O.J. Simpson case of Florence, I would think that because it was such a big deal that the actual monster would have left Florence by then. I think he yeah. would have booked it. You know, like if everyone basically at this point, like even though someone's getting kind of caught for it, I'm sure the search was so big and wide and intense for the monster, you would have just been like, yeah, I'm gone, like just left. You know yeah that's what i'm thinking like you want to have stayed there at least not in florence unless there was some sort of connection that's what i'm saying yeah so i would say um i'm pretty sure unless yeah like you said unless there was something else going on the smarter his decision probably would have been to just leave you know yeah but i think by the end of this it's just crazy how much of an impact this you know this cold case had on italian culture because i think there are a number of cases i think throughout the world of serial killers that really have an impact on either yeah. journalism or investigative work things like that and this is definitely from what i've heard is like one of those cases especially in italy yeah because i would agree yeah. with you for sure because that kind of it showed the lengths that um the police and investigative groups will go to find someone to blame and someone to arrest because desperation can really take them that far especially if there's like little connections that can make that that makes they can find an easy scapegoat you know whether that's Pacioni or Betsy yeah I agree with you completely mm -hmm. I think that's honestly a perfect analysis of this case and it's crazy to me that it's not more prevalent in the United States and other places where true crime is really big because this case is literally one I mean it's easily Italy's biggest serial killer yeah, but it's it's crazy by all standards just in terms of everything that happened like it's so similar to the zodiac killer yet mm -hmm. you may have never heard of this case before but you know what I, mean? I would say that people around the world the world still have a lot of people have heard of the monster of florence even if they don't know yeah. what it is you've heard that name that's how much of an impact it's had yeah it's and honestly big shout out to douglas preston and mario spezzi because they are Preston. real heroes of this case and honestly like their books are fantastic and i got a lot of this information from them so i highly highly recommend reading their book if you want to know more about this case because that that would be coming from someone who's like really on it on the case it's just really disappointing to you know at the end of the day that the monster was never caught because I agree. from what i've heard so far we may have found like a, a suspect or we may have found like or I don't, we've convicted some people for this or whatever, but at the end of the day, no one really got justice for yeah. this case. And it's, and it's just so awful for the victims. Yeah. And I just hate cold cases. And it's awful for like the people who know about the case because it's like, you know, that the guy 
he might be dead now, but, you know, before he was still out there and he basically got off um, free. And it's just really disappointing because it's like, you know, at the end of the day, you really just want justice. That's why I kind of am more interested in doing or like I personally enjoy cases more like doing talking about cases like Ted Bundy or um, Ed Kemper, things like that, because, you know, they got justice, you know, yeah. at the end of it, you get satisfied like and then they went to jail or then they got the death penalty. But for this, it's like and they were never caught. Yeah, but it's still interesting. What I do think that this case has over the others, though, is that it did leave an immense cultural impact and an impact on investigative work since then. Yeah, for sure. And I really do think that in its in its own way, you know, at at the end of the day, the real tragedy of this case just it's not the real tragedy of this case isn't the bad police work. It isn't all those things that suck but the tragedy really is those 12 maybe 14 victims of the monster and it's really they never got to see never got justice justice. Mm -hmm. yeah so it is it is a bummer case but but it's also one of those things that it's like it's hard to not talk about something that's that big yeah and that yeah but that that case is crazy to me and I, i am really glad we got to cover it yeah me too so on that note i say we transition to my favorite segment of the show I love this song. Happy things. (laughs) Emma is having a I have too much fun. I'm having such a fun time with her new soundboard. I really am. Too much fun. Is it this button? It's yeah, it's a pink one. I feel so much joy right now. I know, me too. My it feels like Disneyland in a sound. Wonderful. I love it. Okay, so happy things. You wanna go first? I'll go first. Um I don't know. I oh oh I have a happy thing I forgot to talk Ooh. about. But uh, I recently got into if you haven't heard of them, there's this independent film company called Film Independent, and they're nonprofit. And are they, they independent? Can, are they an independent film company? They are independent, and what they kind of do <laughs> is they um they're one of the biggest I'd say independent film like nonprofits in L.A. if not the world. And what they do is they hold um award serum award shows for in film fest for independent films they host fellowships for upcoming like writers cinematographers filmmakers and all they do all this stuff basically for independent filmmakers they're a huge deal like um for example if you know the new movie the farewell that came out the director follows their instagram like they're a really big deal but um they're every year they have a film fest called the future filmmakers film fest where they gather about like 10 to 11, I'd say. Um, They have people submit short films and they choose about 10 to 11, where the directors slash writers are um, young people, like teenagers. That's awesome. Yeah, and this year I got my short film, Dorian, got chosen. And so... Yeah, that's awesome, dude. It's really exciting. So I got to do an interview with the LA Times as part of it. And I'm also... The Film Fest is August 9th, and so... You know what? I'm just going to plug it. If you want tickets, they're free. It's, um, you, you, you. August 9th? August 9th. Like Friday? Yeah. Guys, it's this coming up Friday. Yes. It's, it's actually going to, so my film, my stupid little short film is going to be shown in an actual theater, um, the Arclight in Culver City in LA. And 
I'm so excited and super cool and it's, tickets are free. You should guys should come. You can probably just Google like that's so awesome. Yeah, like 2019 future filmmakers, um, film independent something like that, and it'll probably show up. But yeah, I'm super stoked about it. I invited my entire family, and it's kind of really exciting as like an upcoming filmmaker to have your work kind of like um, shown in like a real theater, and then to kind of get the support by. Uh, independent film company that I admire so much so that's amazing seriously thank that's you. super amazing I know, you should I'm be so, really proud of yourself thank you I'm a sexton that's I am awesome so happy I am over the moon so oh that's such that's a good one up. yeah what's yours mine is dumb I was gonna no, just okay it. whatever you know whatever <laughs> makes you happy uh two things one <laughs> this is gonna be my original one but now I feel like I should add on uh my I have this plant <laughs> okay i'm already it's really a, into this it's called a japanese peace lily okay it's mm-hmm. right behind caitlin as we speak oh and it's very nice i love it very much because if you've ever seen the movie hot fuzz it is <gasps> oh yeah that's the, the same type of within. plant yeah yes that oh. is why i got that plant so when i went on vacation i forgot to Good. tell somebody to water it so it started <laughs> to die and when I came back, you can still see how some of the leaves were starting to fall at the bottom. So I was so sad when I got back because I thought it was dead. So I watered it a ton <laughs> and I like gave it, I gave it everything it needed. I put it toward an east facing window. I what the put my heart and soul mean? into this plant and now it's alive. I Yay! guess it never fully died because it is growing new flowers and I am just very, very excited that it's not dead anymore. That's <laughs> a good happy thing. So that's my Japanese piece, Lily story. I'm happy you... <laughs> So you might be getting your movie shown in a movie theater, but my plant's not. No, dead. I I'm love kidding. that story. I'm <laughs> that was good. I, I enjoyed that. And I get to see the plant right behind me. So this yes. is really. I'll post a picture of the plant. Yes. On Instagram. This is good. For I'm, the happy things post. I'm digging this right now. Yeah. Really but like that's that my plant. happy thing, to be honest. Woo. I guess like. I feel like it's, it's not huge, but it made me joyful. So there we go. Happy things are happy things. They're yeah. all the, they're all happy. There's no better or worse happy things. So true. Alrighty, and with that, with the end of Happy Things, I think it's time to end this podcast out. What do you say, Caitlin? I think I'm ready. So, guys, thank you so, so much for listening. As always, you can find us on pretty much every single social media at Horrible Things Podcast. You can email us at HorribleThingsPodcast at gmail.com. Uh, Twitter is at HorribleThingsP because, as we've explained many P. a time, you can't put that many letters in a Twitter <laughs> username. So, you can find us on social media. Give us a follow. Give us a like. Get in contact with us. DM us that way. It's always great to hear from people. Um, if you have the time or the drive to do so uh, and you could leave us a rate and review on itunes or apple podcast that would mean the world but for real thank you guys so much just for listening to the podcast uh sharing it with your friends is really the way that this podcast gets heard because there's a million podcasts out there and uh if you like it and you want to share it with people that honestly is the way that things get going and more people can hear about it and we can talk to more of you guys so it's just yeah if you want to share with your friends that means the world but thank you so much for listening every time you guys leave a rate and a review for this podcast emma gets fed for the night so yes you guys are feeding emma (laughs) so just thank you guys so much for listening it seriously does mean the world and with that i say remember that (laughs) satanic panic is never the answer guys And throw at your doorstops because they can be used against you in court. And most importantly, don't don't do horrible things. things. The music is going to come in right now.